0: Uh, let's uh, read the text, and um, and I'll pray. We're in Luke 1, in case you're were thinking we're moving on, we're not, uh, verses 5 through 13. We're going to slowly make our way through Luke's Gospel in this church, and... Uh, We find ourselves in the story of uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Luke 1, verse 5 through 13. That's what we're going to read today. If you need it, anybody raise their hands if they need a Bible. We'll get one to you. Everybody got one? All right. Let's read this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name... Was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. I wonder if I'm even aware right now, Lord, that you hear me. We just pray at the beginning of the service because it's what we do, it's ritual, it's tradition, it's just seems right or am I up here praying are we praying because we know that the God who sits over the heavens hears us we're in your presence right now Lord and it's an amazing thing but you lean in you lean in You delight to hear the prayers of your children. So God, we uh, bring our attention to you and we ask for your help. We ask for you to come bless this word. As we get into the scriptures together, would you open our hearts up? And today in particular, would you encourage us and the power of prayer. Would you show us just what it means that you connect the advancing of your plan with the humble prayers of your people? And I pray the effect would be that we'd all all be excited and unleashed to fulfill that command that Paul gives us to pray unceasingly. We'd be amazed that we're heard, and we we don't want the dialogue to stop with our heavenly Father, our heavenly Bridegroom. So would you come, Jesus, and bless bless us here, bring us near to you? In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, we return. (laughs) I do not feel good. You know what? It might be good for you guys. I I was told that. Somebody that, <laughs> one of my friends who was here a week or two ago, is like, watching you preach is like watching a tennis match. So I'm doing this, you know? <laughs> and people's heads are going back and forth. I might be a little less mobile today. So some of you are like, okay, I might be able to like focus a little bit more. It was kind of funny. Uh, anyways, all right. We return to the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, to whom the announcement of a coming son is made, John, the forerunner to the long anticipated messiah jesus right last week i came to this text with five questions we answered four of them we've got one left the five questions that we went through or that we're going to be going through why this couple why zechariah and elizabeth what was the point and choosing them. God's inaugurating the age of fulfillment. He's bringing his Messiah in. He's intruding into the human story in a powerful way. And he's doing it with this couple. I said, why? And I asked, why this place? He's doing all this in the temple. Zechariah's chosen by Lot to go into the temple. Then I asked, why this hour? The hour of incense, or like last week, we talked about the hour of the burnt offering. Same thing. Why this angel? Why was Gabriel the one sent to give the announcement of the forerunner to the Messiah? And I found meaning in all of it because I believe that God is sovereign over history and He has a plan and He has a reason why. He could have done it any way He wanted. And we, were, we kind of summed it all up in that phrase that became the title of last week's sermon, God with us through sacrifice forever. I'm not going to go back into any of that. That's last week's message. You can find it online. Today we have the fifth and final question. Why... Did God go about inaugurating the Messianic age in this way? And by way, what I mean is through prayer. In the context of prayer. A praying people. A praying priest. The hour of incense. All these things we'll see are going to direct us to this idea of prayer. And God is connecting this inaugurating moment, this announcement of John who's going to be forerunner to Christ with the prayers of his people. It seems God and Luke are jealous to help us make this connection. And so I want to ask, why? Why bring this so clearly to our attention? What is God communicating here? Now, before we can answer this question, I want to make sure that we all see the connection I'm, I'm referring to. Before we can answer why, why prayer connected to the advance of His plan in such a profound way. Before we can answer that, I want to make sure you see the prayer involved here. And, and, and just how much prayer saturates this scene. There are three different ways that Luke draws our attention to prayer. The first is with the mention of incense in verses 9 and 10. Okay? We see in verse 9, Zechariah is chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and do what? Burn incense. And then we read in verse 10 that he was chosen by Lot to go and burn incense because this was the hour of incense. So the first way that Luke is going to draw our attention to this context of prayer is with this idea of incense. Now, the offering of incense is, we mentioned this last week very briefly, symbolic of prayer, right? It was something like, like we talked about last time. The hour of incense coincided with the hour of the burnt offering. Okay, so morning and evening, there would be a sacrifice made, an unblemished lamb. And morning and evening, alongside that burnt offering, would be this Offering of incense. And it was the symbol of prayer to God saying, please accept this offering. Look with favor upon your people. Have mercy on us and act on our behalf for your name's sake. That's what's going on here. And this is why Psalm 141 verse 2 you have things like this being said by David. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. Let's think about the uh, symbolism of incense for a moment and, and, and its, its connection with prayer. It's, it's amazing. I really hadn't thought about it before, but I'm telling you guys, the more you look into the Scriptures, the more you realize every detail really matters. And even these discussions in the Old Testament about the the temple and all these little details, you're going, what is going on? There is so much significance to it. He is just ministered. It's packed with with content. It's incredible. So let me unpack five little things about incense and and what it speaks to us regarding prayer. First, um, it is intriguing, I think, to consider that the altar of incense, which was inside the holy place, It actually got its fire from the altar of burnt offering that was outside in the temple courts. Okay? Now, what does that mean? So here's what would happen. Zechariah, chosen by lot to offer the incense, right? So he is outside. What he would do, him or an assistant, would get fire, coals, from the altar altar of the burnt offering where the sacrifice was, come into the holy place, take that fire, put it on the altar of incense that was in there, and then offer the incense that symbolized the prayer of the saints. What does that mean? I think what it means is that our prayers, our prayers are acceptable to God only via the sacrifice of Christ. I mean, we read about how we can now enter the throne room boldly in our time of need. We find grace and mercy there. We can come in by the blood of Christ to the holy places. This is Hebrews. And that's what's going on. Because of sacrifice, we can draw near and have assurance that our prayers are in fact heard. The same fire that burned the sacrifice is the fire that causes our prayers to rise up to the throne secondly second thing we can note about um, the symbolism of incense and this is probably the most um, intuitive but as the priest would position the incense over the coals the rising smoke from the burning incense would kind of picture this this, this idea of, of, of our prayers rising to the throne of God it's supposed to put invisible form for these people uh, uh, the, the the reality the invisible reality that our prayers aren't just falling flat we don't just utter we're not just we're not just lunatics kind of talking to ourselves here hoping for the God in the sky somehow my best buddy in the sky to like hear me and make my life better whatever it's it's saying listen your prayers they are rising. And they are going to His throne room. He hears what you whisper in the quiet of the night. He does. And that's what incense was intended to picture for them and give them confidence. Through sacrifice, my prayers rise to the Father. We could keep going. thirdly, this incense, the smell that came forth from it is significant. It's not the smell that used to be under my sink at at my rental place that would kind of come out at the night. You're like, what is that when you woke up in the morning? This is not good, Jerry, I think, helped fix that. Thank you, Jerry. It's not the smell of, of, you know, your trash when it's been sitting out in the sun. We're talking about incense here. It's called the pleasing aroma. So, not only are our prayers rising to God, but they are pleasing to Him. They are a delight to Him. Have you ever felt like maybe your prayers is more like like flies buzzing around His banquet table if they're messing up His party? We're just annoying Him. We're in His way. This is here. The symbolism of incense is here to say, no, it's not that way. I love it. I love it when my children pray I love it when they call on my name. It's like we're about to go into holiday season, right? And you got you got the homes that now have these pleasant aromas coming out, right? Hopefully, you got the the apple pie and the cookies and the cinnamon and all that other stuff. That's pleasing to us. We're excited. that's kind of like God say "That's what it smells like when my people get on their knees and they pray." I love it, and then. Fourthly, we we connect uh, this hour of incense, like we said, with, with the hour of the burnt offering. And we go back to Exodus 30 where this is mentioned. And what we find is just like that burnt offering was to be a perpetual offering. Kind of this idea of it's day by day, continually, never ceasing offering. We need sacrifice every moment. The same thing is said of the incense. It's a perpetual or continual or unending offering of incense incense, meaning, not only do my prayers reach him, and they are a delight to him, but he can't get enough of them. Is this idea of keep them coming. Keep them coming. This is the this is kind of the, the pictorial form of the Pauline command, if you will, pray always. This is what we have here with the incense. It's the idea of a perpetual incense offering. Keep the prayers coming. We were created for relationship with Him to be praying always to Him. And He loves it. And then finally, I didn't read this anywhere. I was just thinking, you can toss this out if you want, but it seemed to me that the method of of offering the incense uh, and making the incense perhaps has some symbolic significance as well. We're told specifically in Exodus 30 that that the way they would make the incense was crushing it to a fine powder, very small, beating it until it's just small and broken, and then combining these ingredients, right? And then you take that crushed stuff and you light it on fire, and then you get prayer and, 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 and a sweet aroma and all this. And I thought to myself, you know, isn't it true that that when we are in affliction, when we are under fire, when we are broken, our prayers are more genuine, more authentic, more vigorous, more, more real, and I think more pleasing probably to God. We're not just playing games. We realize, I need you and I need you now. So there's something to this broken hearted crying out to God that I think is also pictured for us in this incense. That's just the first thing that Luke does for us in connecting um, the advance of his plan to prayer. The next uh, um, aspect of prayer that, that he brings to our attention is this multitude that's outside. And you see that in verse, uh, the first part of verse 10, where it says, The whole mul- multitude of the people were praying outside. So we have all this incense symbolism regarding prayer, and now we have this multitude of people that are outside praying as all this is going on. So you have these people p- picturing kind of the, the faithful remnant, if you will, of Israel, waiting for God, praying to Him, pleading with Him to remember His plan and His promises and act. Okay, and they're out there, this multitude. it's probably this is why scholars think that we're looking at the evening sacrifice here. We're looking at the evening offering of incense and burnt offering, because the evening um, offering coincided with the hour of prayer at the temple, about three o'clock pm, I guess, not really evening by our books, but I guess that's what they did. So there would be this group that would come into the temple at this point to seek God in prayer you got the incense you got the crowd and then finally the last thing Luke brings to our attention is in fact climax you got Zechariah we have a praying priest here's what would happen as Zechariah is moving into the holy place and he's he's starting to burn the incense he would also himself do what was symbolized there he was 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 called to intercede for his people Intercede for the nation. He'd be calling out, God, why? Why are we in exile in our own land? Why are we under Herod the Edomite? Why? Where are you? Where is your salvation? And so, it is in context, it is in connection with the prayers of God's people that now we see with Gabriel, God is going to advance his plan the first thing God says the first thing God brings attention to as he is now entering back into history and bringing in his son is I've heard your prayer look at it verse 13a do not be afraid Zechariah for your prayer has been heard what breaks the years of silence? You know, we talk about the 400 silent years between the end of the Old Testament and the New Testament, the beginning. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. I have heard your prayer. The advance of God's plan connected to the prayers of His people. That is, I think, very significant. And so now we return to the question I had at the beginning why this way why does God choose to make that connection plain what is he trying to say my answer is going to serve as the thesis for this sermon as as we proceed and here it is God incorporates man's prayer because he desires man's partnership I'll say it again. God incorporates man's prayer into the advancing of His plan because He desires man's partnership. And not just after doing this Himself, He wants to include us in it. I'm going to have to qualify this because I'm sure some people might struggle. But here is what I am seeing. God does not only want us in the family house. We talked about last week, dwelling with Him. He doesn't just want us in the house, kind of sitting in the back, kind of doing everything, playing video games in the the, the heavenly home. He wants us in the family business. Okay? Not just the family house, but the family business. A part of His mission. A part of His plan. Wanting to advance and bring the world to glory. He wants to include me in that and I think that's why he incorporates prayer here at the very beginning of it as if to say you're a part of this plan I want you in this plan I'm going to respond in, in, in accordance to your prayers because I'm trying to say I want you to be in it we're doing this thing together now this might make some of you with the more reform bent a little nervous because you say partnership now, wait a minute. God doesn't need us, right? I mean, we're going to read it. I, I, I think it's in Luke's gospel. But it might just be Matthew. I think it's Luke too, but where, where John the Baptist says, aha, you think you're, you're important because you're children of Abraham. God could raise up children of Abraham from stones. He doesn't need man to do anything. So now you're talking about partnership, Nick. Are you making God beholden to man? No. There is a big difference. I'm not saying that God needs us to advance His plan. He doesn't. I'm saying that He wants us to be a part of it. I'm saying He desires. Yeah, that He incorporates man's prayers because He desires man's partnership. Let me show you this. this I wonder if you've noticed... This is actually, uh, this has been the case from the very beginning. From the very beginning when God creates man, Adam and Eve, you see this right away. And as I was reflecting, I was like, this is incredible. What a God. I mean, there are things you can't give an account for. You don't know why. He could, but this is the way he, he created things. So let me give you a couple examples of how he wanted man's partnership. He's always been wanting to, to, to accomplish his plan through the mediation of his creatures. Think about um, what happens there in Genesis 1 and 2. Think about how he, he he sets up this garden, right? It's this little garden paradise. I don't know if you noticed that. This little spot among uncultivated earth. And they're supposed to take this garden paradise and expand its borders until it becomes the earth, if you will. All of a sudden they think, I mean, we're talking about God here. If he made the little garden, why don't I make the whole thing a garden and just be done with it? Right? Why put man in this place and say, now I want you to expand it through faith and obedience to me. Let's take this thing out. Partnership. Same thing with... with, with, Okay, why create just one couple? Why just a couple and tell them to be fruitful and multiply the earth? Why not just create the whole earth full of people? God would be much more efficient at this than us. He would do a better job, I am sure. And yet, what we have is this idea that He wants to be in relationship and partnership with us in the advance of His plan. Here's one you maybe never thought of. This is incredible. Why? Why? Did I say I wasn't going to move? Right. Why does God create Adam and then bring creatures to him, animals and things, and ask him to name the animals. You ever thought of that? You realize every detail in the scriptures matter. Matters. Why? Let me tell you something. What did God just get done doing in the six days of creation? creating things and naming it. I call this day. I call this night. I call that land. I call that sea. He just got done creating and naming. And then he says, now in a subordinate sort of, an an analogical sort of way, I want man to be a part of my reign over the earth. That's why when they're created in his image, he says in Genesis 1.26, now have dominion over, All things are we are we kings now? Well, yes and no. We are kings under the King of Kings. We partake in His reign. He wants us to reign with Him. Partnership. And so this naming is a partaking in the rule and authority of God over all things. He's he's blessing us with that sort of a call. He wants to advance, to, to fulfill, to accomplish His plan through the mediation partnership of His creatures. You and I. you convinced this is biblical? So, the answer to it all, relationship, partnership, family house, family business. This is what Christ comes to regain. It's what He calls the church into now by His Spirit. This partnership. And it's what is anticipated and pictured in this relationship with, or in, in, in this whole scene with Zechariah. Here's the thing. Does God need us? No. That's the meaning of choosing a couple advanced in years and barren. He doesn't need us. Does God want us? Yes. That's the meaning of, for I have heard your prayer. Make sense? So, prayer then becomes the chief activity of man in this partnership. And I want to explain to you why. Prayer is situated somewhere in between him doing it and me doing it. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility. It's this amazing thing that holds two realities together. Because what does prayer on one side of it say? It says, I can't do it. That's why I'm asking you. You alone can do it. It's your plan, your way, your power. That's one thing prayer says. But it also says, for some reason I know you want to do it in and through me. And you want me a part of it. That's why you invite me to pray and talk to you. You want me in this. Even though I can't do it, here I am. Both together. Pretty awesome. So, prayer becomes the chief activity of man in this partnership. And again, then, God incorporates man's prayer because He desires man's partnership. And we could have ended the sermon there. Some of you have been like, oh, it had been nice to be out early this week. We're not even close. (laughs) We could have ended it there and moved on to maybe next verses in Luke or something else. But I, I wanted to linger here. I wanted to linger here for a couple of reasons. First reason, this theme in Luke, both his Gospel and his book of Acts, huge for him. He is constantly, more than any other author, drawing attention to how prayer is engaging with and advancing the plan of God. So I want to show you some of that. Because when when you... When you read something once in the scriptures, it's important because God said it, right? When you see something again and again and again and again, you get the sense. This is of monumental significance. I don't want to miss this. Second reason why I want to linger here is because of where we're at in this church, the place we find ourselves in in this transition. Um, New here, talking to a lot of people like, oh, we'd love to see the church get into a new season of growth, vitality, flourishing. We'd love to see not only new people come in, but the people that are here connecting more and, and their gifts and their passions being excited, right? And you think, well, how is that going to happen? How is God going to advance Mercy Hill? Is it going to be because we're going to read the, the latest book or get onto the latest church? Growth trend or, you know, we're going to change our branding or our programs. No, it's not going to be any of those things. Some of that stuff might help a little bit. But you want to know what it's going to be at bottom? Prayer. I mean, that's one of the massive implications from choosing to connect the advance of His prayer or of His his plan with our prayers. It's to say, this is how it's going to move forward. You want to know why? The first thing I did, first official move I made as your pastor, what was it? Start a prayer meeting. The first official move. Do you want to know why? Because I think that's the only way this thing is going to move forward. That's the only way we're going to advance here. And I'll tell you what, hearing you guys pray, at that meeting, it's, it's insane. It's amazing. It gives me so much confidence that God has great things in store for this church when the people knows how to pray like you guys do. So I think... Praying people, going to watch His plan advance. This church. Well, that's it. So, in an effort then to defend and display my thesis that God incorporates man's prayer because He desires man's partnership. I want to show how prayer plays a critical role in advancing the plan through Luke's gospel, in Jesus, and then in the book of Acts through the church. Okay. We've already looked at, and you notice maybe the the headings on your handout. We've already looked at a praying priest in the coming Christ. Okay, so a priest praying brings in, if you will, the Christ. Then we're going to look at a praying Christ in the coming church. Christ and His prayer life will bring in the church. This plan keeps expanding. And then a praying church is going to actually bring in the end, which is in fact a new beginning. So, let's get moving here. Um, we'll begin with a praying Christ in the coming church. It's a massive understatement to say that Jesus is a unique man, right? He, he, he is... Fully God and fully man. But here's the thing that we can't forget in our Christology and our understanding of Christ. He was a man. Okay? That is very significant. He's not just God. He was also a man. And as a man, he was all that God created man at the first to be. That's Jesus. Which means he becomes not just some stellar you know, example that I could never attain to. He becomes what I ought to be. He becomes the template for humanity. When we look at him in the Gospels, we're looking at what God created us to be like. And interestingly enough, for the God-man, prayer occupied a central, a fundamental place in his life. We would think to ourselves, if there was anyone, if there was anyone for whom prayer would be unnecessary, you know, outdated, it would be Christ. And yet what we see is that even though, mystery of all mysteries, He upholds the universe with a word of His power, He also is constantly Pouring out his words to the Father that he might be sustained, that he might have power, that he might be able to partner with God in advancing his plan. As man, prayer is his breath. And Luke, as I said, more than any other author, draws our attention to this. I think the other gospel writers mentioned maybe two prayers of Jesus. Luke brings in nine. I'm going to look at all of them. I just want you to know that because I want you to see this is a major theme for Luke and he wants us to see it. So, let's move through his story just a little bit. Jesus in prayer and prayer and how he engages this plan and how we watch it advance. Luke three twenty one through 22 What do we have? This is the outset of Christ's public ministry. Very important moment. This is his baptism. Signifies his anointing. As the final prophet, priest, king, and it's from there that we read he begins his ministry. But what do we see happen here at his baptism? Let's make note. It says this: Now, when all the people, this is Luke three twenty-one. We're just going to walk through a little bit of Luke here, and we're going to go kind of quick. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, there it is: the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son with you I am well pleased and it's from that point that he goes to combat the devil in the wilderness and to move into his ministry right? so what do we see pictured there for us? he was praying Luke that mentions this he's praying and as he's praying the heavens open the spirit falls he is empowered for ministry the plan advances now here we go again luke 6:12 this is another pivotal moment in the plan of god and it's marked by the prayer of jesus it says this before or i'm sorry this is uh, luke 6:12 and this is before he's going to choose the 12 apostles Okay, He's got these disciples. He's going to name 12 of them to be apostles. So what does He do before a major life decision, if you will? A significant moment like this in the plan of God. Here's what we read. He went out to the mountain to pray, and all night He continued in prayer to God. Here is the God-man. Jesus Christ pouring out His heart to God. Who do I choose? What is your is going to be in accordance with your plan? And then the next day, 12. What do the 12 signify? New Israel, new covenant people, new humanity. All that are going to be consolidated, consti- um, constituted around this Christ and His work. So you have Christ, his prayer, his baptism, his anointing for ministry. Now, through prayer, he is calling others to himself. He's getting this plan into its next stage. I have more here, but I will, for the sake of time, skip down. We see him again in Gethsemane. I'm stoked to have Josh mention this. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot because of this message and our prayers and how we fall asleep and how you watch man just kind of falter in his prayers throughout the Gospels. And then, in Acts, after the Spirit falls, the Spirit of Christ, the praying Christ, we start to, we start to pick it up a little bit. But here we are in Gethsemane and he's contemplating what it would cost him to create this new humanity. He's praying in agony, right? Think about you know sweat like blood coming down it says and he's crying out to God he is praying about this plan he's facing the dreaded aspect of this plan this is what it's going to cost to make all things new father luke 22:42 if you're willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but yours be Done. God, is there any other way than drinking this cup of your wrath for the sins of the world? He's engaging God regarding the plan through prayer. Here's the most amazing thing about Luke's story and the way he recounts it, that again, no other gospel records this. Every other gospel you're not told Verse 43, there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. What does that mean? Prayer works to advance the plan even when the answer is no. You want to know that? And there are people in this room that need to hear that. He says, no, I can't take the cup from you, but yes, I will get you through it. So we could be pouring out our hearts. Nick said he hears me. The Bible says you hear me. Where's the change? Where's the the yes? Sometimes the answer is no. But always prayer works. God comes and he strengthens us to do what he's calling us to do. And will get us through it. Prayer is always effective in advancing God's plan. And then he goes to the cross. For your sake and my sake. He takes our sins on his back, right? Drinks down the cup of that wrath. And as he's up there, you want to know what Luke records for us? Another prayer. High priest, the faithful and merciful high priest that he is, up on the cross, drinking the cup down, cries out, "What in Luke 23:34, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." He seals our pardon with a prayer. He, intercedes. he lives to intercede for us. And the plan of God advances. A praying priest and the coming Christ. A praying Christ and now the coming church. Watch as the praying church brings in the coming end. Jesus the second Adam regains the divine human partnership. Okay? He brings man back into it. He lived that partnership. And he calls us back into it by his Spirit. And we watch as we follow Luke's material from his Gospel and the life of Christ into the book of Acts and the life of the church. And what do we see? But Exactly what we would expect. That as Christ now pours out his Spirit on the church, what happens with the church How's the church going to advance the plan but the same way that the Messiah did? Through prayer. Just like prayer brought in the Messiah, just like prayer fueled the ministry of the Messiah, His life, death, and resurrection, so too prayer in the church is going to advance God's plan. From Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, to the end of the earth. I'll give you just a couple here and then there's a specific text that I wanted to focus on and we'll close. It's prayer that defined the church as she waited for the outpouring of Christ's spirit on the day of Pentecost. I mean this is this is this is what they were called to do go in Jerusalem and wait, Jesus says. And what do they do while they're waiting? They pray. This is Acts 1:14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. How is God's plan going to move forward? It's not going to be by our effort. Go to Jerusalem and wait. (laughs) Pray. Don't you go ahead of me. You wait for me. And this praying community, when they're all gathered together again, most likely to pray, is when the Spirit falls. Similar to like Christ's baptism, when the Spirit fell on him and empowered him for ministry, so too now the Spirit falls on the church in that same way, and they move out from there with boldness and power and strength, proclaiming Jesus everywhere they go. And they meet opposition, right? Right at the outset. They're thrown into the prison or whatever it was that the Sanhedrin had and and the the Jews and the the, the chief priests and the leaders there they don't like what's going on and the uproar that it's causing and turning people away from their rules their traditions their system so they lock them up and when they do release them they say listen don't you ever don't you ever speak in that name again the name of Christ so what are they going to do I mean you got you got to put yourself there for a moment the anxiety the fear right Threat of death, persecution right there. What do they do? Pray. We read in Acts 4.31, when they had prayed, they all gather together, they pray, cry out, it's an incredible prayer there in Acts 4. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was Shaken. And they were all filled with the Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. So what happens? There's a threat to the advance of this plan. So they pray. God pours out the Spirit and the plan advances. They go out in Jerusalem with boldness again. We can do this. Spirit's upon us. In fact, they go out with such boldness that we watch a great persecution arise in Jerusalem which scatters the people and spreads the gospel. So we watch as the plan continues to advance. You want to know how it, how it happens? In Samaria, Samaritans that the Jews despise, the gospel is going to reach them. How does it reach them? The apostles are called in to lay hands and pray for them. Spirit falls. Oh my gosh, same spirit that fell on Jews is now on Samaritans. This gospel is moving out. This plan is advancing. And then, global missions. You want to know where it started? A prayer meeting. Prayer meeting. I think Acts 13, Acts 13, 2 through 3. I'm trying to go fast here because I'm. Yeah. It's a perennial problem. So, it's a prayer meeting. What happens? They're gathered together at the church at Antioch. They're worshiping, they're fasting, they're praying. And the Spirit says, set apart Saul and Barnabas and send them out to the Gentiles. And the missions movement, the global missions movement was initiated. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, prayer. Prayer is a part of advancing His plan at every Point. God wants partnership with us in this plan. A praying priest and the coming Christ. A praying Christ and the coming Church. A praying Church and the coming end. Now this is incredible. This is this is where I'm, I'm going to leave us. We're actually going to leave Luke's material at this point, but we're going to return to the imagery of incense that that we picked up at, in in Luke one. This is Revelation five, or I'm sorry, Revelation eight, one through five. Talking about the end of the world now. Okay, talking about the end of the world. And believe it or not, our prayer is feature large in this moment. It's incredible, incredible. Let's read this. I'll make a couple notes. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour then i saw the seven angels who stand before god and seven trumpets were given to them and another angel came and stood at the altar you now with a golden censer and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. There is so much we could say here. I'll give you two things. Two things that are worth pointing out. Because I realized I probably went right by you. First, note the silence in verse 1. The Lamb... The only one worthy. Now, this is His plan. The only one worthy to break the seal on this scroll breaks the seventh and final seal. And there is silence in heaven. Before this, the previous six seals, when they were broken, stuff happened immediately. Okay? Judgments in kind of an escalating way were kind of poured out on the earth. This seventh seal opened silence. This pregnant silence drawing attention to something. You want to know what it does? It opens space here for the saints to speak. You want to know what is happening in the silence? What what What, what this is pointing to? There are these prayers. The incense, right? This almost like what Zechariah is doing back in Luke one, happening in the heavenly in the heavenly temple at this point. And this incense is being taken and laid on the altar. And this incense is the prayers of the saints being offered to God. Up until this point, it's as if God was just it was only God's work. He's doing it, all this stuff is happening, and then all of a sudden, silence and we're shown. Here's where we fit in, and it is massively significant. Our prayers are accumulating, and they're moving toward the right time when God would bring in the end. Now, let me let me make note of this for you. This is also important. What Where does the judgment come from after the seventh seal is broken? What if you notice this? The angel, the angel, takes fire from this, this altar of incense, if you will. And that becomes the basis for this final kind of judgment that eventually is going to lead in the, uh, the, the kingdom of God becoming the kingdom of earth. That's Revelation 11.15. Um, That's where all this is going. And what happens? But the angel grabs, basically saying, your prayers, your prayers are connected to the coming of the end. Our prayers before God rising, all those prayers over the years, your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your kingdom come, have accumulated and God says, now's the time. And He connects the end of the world with the prayers of the saints by pulling from the fire of that altar that has our prayers on it and ushering in the last judgment. And ultimately, the new heavens and new earth. What do we find is going on in the new heavens and new earth? We read in Revelation 11 that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. And He's going to reign forever and ever. So the world is becoming His kingdom by the prayers of His saints. But in Revelation 22, what do we see? We also are with Him. And what are we doing? Reigning. There's a partnership established through the whole advance of the plan to the end and into the new heavens and new earth. We are going to be what we were intended to be at the first Okay? Because of Jesus. And so here's where I would leave you. If prayer is what God points out from beginning to end, as, as that which which it helps advance God's plan. It's there at the inauguration in a praying priest. It's there through the, the middle, if you will, with the praying Christ and a praying church. And it's there at the very end, as we just read in Revelation. If prayer is that significant to the plan of God, are we praying? I think what I would like to leave us with is that, that, that text there in Luke 18.1. Where Jesus it says, He tells this parable. I'm not interested right now in the parable. But He tells them this parable because He wants them to always pray and not lose heart. And as we're going through all this stuff, I, I, the, the, the effect I want it to have on you is I ought always to pray and not lose heart. Even when I think I'm barren and advanced in years. Even when I think I'm in exile in my own land. Even when the silence in heaven doesn't seem to be because God is listening to the prayers of the saints, but because God is not interested and not responding to the prayers of the saints. Even when all I feel is let down, silence, nothing, I had always to pray and not lose heart because... Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Do not be afraid, Jerry, Ming Long, Josh, Kathy, Christina, Judy. Do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard. He wants you in this plan. He's bringing you into this plan. Don't give up on prayer with Him. Even when the answer is no, He will keep it moving forward. Let's partner with our God in prayer. Amen? Amen. Jesus, we are amazed that You would include us. We know it's by virtue of the, of the Lamb slain, what You did on the cross. We thank You that You regained this partnership in Your life, Your death, Your resurrection, and the outpouring of Your Spirit. I pray, Lord, I pray that You would give Your people heart in their prayers. That they would, they would see from beginning to end that their prayers really matter. And You listen, You love it, You want it never to stop. So God, encourage us in that, we pray. God, we pray that you would help us to pray. Jesus, we know that you lived the prayerful life. And we know that by your Spirit, you can grant us that sort of life. Help us, God. Help us to turn our thoughts outward and upward that instead of nursing our anxieties and our fears, our bitterness, our struggles, we would turn to You, Lord. We would live in constant prayer. Prayer would be our breath like it was for You. Jesus, thank You that You've incorporated us into Your plan. Thank You that You let us be a part of advancing it. Please would You do it in our lives and in this church. We pray. Amen.